So again, I'd just like to welcome you all to DLR Library's online celebration of International Women's Day 2022. So the theme for this year is Break the Bias. And I think we all dream of a world where gender discrimination is no more. We know we have a long way to go, but we do recognise that many strides have been made in the last few decades. And it is always nice to recognise those strides and have a little mini celebration. So we're really delighted to have two wonderful women here tonight um, to discuss their Desert Island Reads. So we have Ola Majeka Dumi, who is a journalist, a writer, a broadcaster, a Gaelgor, and a public speaker. Um, we also have Jessica Trainer, who is an award-winning poet, creative writing teacher, dramaturg, and also the DLR Poet in Residence 21 to 22. Both are from Dublin, and we are really looking forward to hear them discuss what inspires them in the world of books and writing, poetry, and what indeed they would bring with them to a desert island situation. And just to say to all of you here tonight, remember that the libraries are a great resource for any of the suggestions that Ola and Jessica make tonight. So we can order many items from within DLR libraries and also from the whole National Library Service. And if there's anything suggested that we don't have in stock, we can also purchase it from our book fund. So I'm going to hand you over now to Ola and to Jessica, and you're both very welcome here tonight. Thanks so much for that intro, Susan. And Ola, it's lovely to be here with you. Um, we were just saying before everybody came in that I think the last time myself and Ola saw each other uh, was uh, a Nolignaman event. Yeah. Um, at two the years Irish ago. Two years ago. So it's nice to have um, kind of connected these two women's events, although we won't talk about what went in between. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all do with forgetting about that for a while. Absolutely um, can. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Ola, I'm going to pass over to you because um, I'm dying to see what your first choice is. And I, we were saying we might do a kind of a, a tit for tat after that and go back and forth and see uh, see what books and writers we've chosen. Great. Yeah. So thank you very much for having me. So, yeah, I would actually like to start off with reading a bit from this book. It's a book of poems. Sorry, you can't see it there. It's Questions for Ada, and it's by Ijoma Umbuenio. And there was a poem from hers that really struck me always, and it's called, it goes like this, actually. Here you are, too far in for home, too far in for here, never enough for both. And for me, you know, as someone that has, you know, two identities, Irish and Nigerian, that really struck a chord with me. So I really love poetry and it really it really just kind of she says it as it is you know she's so honest and I follow her online as well and she's the same and I just I just love what she does so here's a poem actually here it's called freedom your feminism wears a rapper cooks for her husband changed her surname so I just think that poetry is very like just says it as it is. And here's another one. For imperfect daughters, for those who do not bow to tradition, for imperfect daughters still trying each day not to call themselves failures. You are here, you are becoming, isn't that enough? I might just go for another one as well. Okay. Survival. I have always wondered how women who carry war inside their bones still grow flowers between their teeth 
So I thought those poems there, you know, are quite symbolic for today, this day and the special day that it is. And yeah, I, I just think her poem really highlights, you know, womanhood in particular, black womanhood, and just the struggles that we go through. And, you know, it's really great to just be able to read that, you know, that someone else feels like how you do sometimes, you know, that's really comforting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we really we really turn to poetry for that, don't we? That sense mm -hmm. of, you know, I'm feeling something intensely and there must be something else out there in the world that kind of reflects that back to me in some way. Um, and those pieces are really gorgeous. And they were actually making me think about a lot of what I've been thinking about at the moment. Um, I'm writing a lot about, about motherhood. Um, and I think for a lot of women in, in the West and in Ireland in general, like one of the few times that we face a real sense of vulnerability is actually when we come towards motherhood, like physical vulnerability. You know, we are very privileged, I think. And for me, I've been kind of trying to write around that space and just those moments in our lives when as women, we realize our own vulnerability because it can seem a lot of the time like, you know, everything's okay. And hopefully for most people or for many people it is, but then there are these moments um, when you kind of realize that there's a kind of a visceral side of life that's involved in, in parenthood and childbirth and everything like that, that uh, is kind of inescapable. Um, and I'm gonna read a poem as well um, by an Irish poet called Alva Darcy. And um, she's written uh, this amazing book called Insistence, which is all about motherhood and climate crisis and a lot of the things that I would feel quite anxious about. Um, not to say that these are poems that I would find like dark or depressing, but sometimes again, like, like you were saying with the poet that you chose, you, you want to see your own experience or your own concerns mm -hmm. or anxieties kind of reflected back and know that other people are, are thinking about this stuff, you know? And um, so this poem, it's a kind of a, it's kind of a gritty poem, but I wanted something gritty to get us going uh, for International Women's Day. And it's called After My Son Was Born. I'd a snip cut in his tongue, blood scissored down his chin. At every squall, I'd been unsnipping myself and starving him. He knocked me so my nose coughed blood, punched a finger through my cornea. Blood bubbled at my nipple where his gums met. On the radio, someone was saying something about Syria. My son jerked knots of hair from my head. Tears dashed off his fontanelle. He'd fixed my hips so my clothes didn't fit. I blundered him once against the door jam. Blood. I'd bit his father when we were younger, drinking harder. Made blood come then. Twice I tried to leave him screaming 20 minutes at a time, but couldn't keep stumm. One breakfast, I broke the mug that insisted, don't mess with Texas, smashed it. And all the time I smiled so much, my teeth dried. He made everything heavy, like they say the bomb did for a while so that Americans swam through their homes, eyes peeled, picking up everyday things and dropping them as though they were violated with light and pain, as though blood hadn't always been there waiting. Wow, I love that. I, just uh, so descriptive. And you, you can just see it visually as well as you were reading it. I really love yeah, that. Yeah, I, I remember hearing her read it before I'd had kids and being like, wow, this is a really complex take on the whole parenthood thing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, having gone through a lot of like similar experiences to that, I've, I've kind of gone, okay, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing where that's coming from. You know, it's such a, uh, it can be a really kind of visceral experience a lot of the time. Um, so what's next on your list, Ola? 
Yeah, so I think I'll move to a bit of Irish language poetry and I might read some of my own as well, if that's okay. But I wanted to read out just a couple of lines from a poem that really struck a chord with me again when I was younger in school and, you know, studying for the Leaving Cert. And it was a poem really that got me thinking just about identity again and particularly just language, minority languages. And for the week that's in it, Shakta Nguelga as well. So I think it's worth um, reading out. So this is Finarish by Shana Reardon, and I'm just going to read a few lines and then I can talk about it and translate afterwards. So fog glan ninyat her. That's leave, you know, the land of crazies. That's what he would say. Shelley Keats is Shakespeare. Billary shared the quidge, need inchin is need the hanga, a cook kangata go rare of the bonus kyun led air. So I'm just going to explain again that line, Foglan in Altair, because it might seem a bit absurd just as I was saying that it means uh, leaving the land of the crazies. It really means, I suppose, you know, go back to your own kind of culture, going back to pre colonial Ireland, you know. Mm leave leave whatever has come now you know any kind of colonial influences and go back and it's it's like a dream really like a lot of people would think it's primitive but I thought it was quite beautiful in that dream just going back to that time and he mentions you know Shelley Keats and Shakespeare you know leave all that like go back to what's your own and you know kind of clean your mind and go back to your language that you know kind of got lost on the way so yeah I always thought that was a really beautiful poem and it's always sat with me to be honest it's just one that gets me thinking about identity in minority languages in general and even my own minority language as well Yoruba from Nigeria as well so yeah it's one that really got me thinking critically yeah it's so interesting isn't it the cycles in history you know when you think back long enough and, you know, people have been constantly moving from place to place, one culture coming to another place. And I think in, in, in the best of times, the cultures come together and create this whole new flowering of identity where we get to bring the best of what we have from different cultures and, and mingle it together. Um, you know, and in the sadder times, the opposite of that happens where there's, you know, there's the loss of culture and kind of cultural memory and everything like that and um, it was beautiful to hear that poem read I, every time I hear Irish language poetry I'm just astonished again by what a musical language it is compared to mm, English definitely. I think yeah um, it just doesn't have the same flow to it even though I as a poet I give it a try um I might talk a little bit about um, another book. This is kind of a slightly more serious book um, that I think is really important. Um, and it's called The Right to Sex by Amia Srinivasan. And I read it over Christmas because, you know, obviously, like when everyone else is eating the Cadbury's roses, I'm there thinking about important questions of gender and sexuality and identity and, and how we relate to each other in the modern world. But um, I found it a really important text for the moment just around things like... Um, just how we relate to each other, men and women, um, how we deal with discrimination, how we deal with changing and new identities. Um, and I suppose in the light of, of, of some things that have happened recently, I was very interested in, in a passage in it, which talks about, about rape and false rape accusations and gives some 
kind of hardline statistics on these things, which I just think are really important to remember, uh, because I think that this is an area in society that we have a lot of fear around, the idea that people will be falsely accused. But I think it's very, very careful to remember that the proportion of that in the proportion uh, in proportion to violence against women and actual rape cases and the underreporting of them, those things are important to remember. So I'm just going to read a, a short paragraph from that because I do think it's very interesting. Some men are falsely accused of rape. There is nothing to be gained by denying it. But false accusations are rare. The most detailed ever study of sexual assault reports released by the UK Home Office in 2005 estimated that just 3% of 2,643 rape reports made over the course of 15 years were probably in inverted commas or possibly in inverted commas false. Yet the British police had classified in the same period more than twice as many, 8% of these reports as false based on its officers' personal judgment. In 1996, the FBI also reported an 8% rate of unfounded, in inverted commas, or false forcible rape complaints, aggregated from police departments across the US. In both Britain and the US, the 8% figure was largely the result of police officers' susceptibility to rape myths. In both countries, police officers were inclined to consider a report false if there hadn't been a physical struggle, if no weapon had been involved, or if the accuser had a prior relationship with the accused. Um, so I'd really like to read that actually, yeah. She is fabulous. And I think that there's another, um, the, the, the title essay from this, The Right to Sex, uh, deals with um, incel culture um, mm. and how that kind of ideology has grown up over the internet and become a very, very strange and toxic ideology that is infiltrating normal culture I, I hate to say normal culture but I don't see incel culture as normal so uh, mm. <laughs> to me um, but it's kind of infiltrating the fringes of culture and creating mm. really really problematic ideas about who has the right to other people's bodies yeah very topical definitely yeah yeah and like it, it you know it's kind of a it sounds maybe like a tough read and I really did you know, I did focus on it, but I thought that it was really fascinatingly clear. You know, she's an academic, but she is very, very mm -hmm. clear and she she does fantastic research. Um, and yeah, it is topical. So it's one mm -hmm. that I definitely recommend uh, for anyone who's interested in these topics. And I think we're all affected by them. Um, and unfortunately, you know, we're reminded of that often in the worst possible way in cases, very public cases of assault or femicide and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's it's important reading and I think we all need to try and, um, I don't want to say arm ourselves, but I think we can always arm ourselves with knowledge yeah, <laughs> and, and, and involve ourselves in discourse in a really positive way, hopefully. That would actually be the kind of text that I'd be really interested in. I actually haven't read anything very academic in a while, so... Yeah, that would be something I'd be up for. I'm actually going to move on to something kind of similar in the different way. So this is from Chimamanda Ngozi and it's the essay she wrote recently, It is Obscene, A True Reflection in Three Parts. Mm -hmm. And there's parts of this essay that I think just would re resonate with us all, mm -hmm. to be honest, in the sense of, you know, being a public figure, but not only that, but just being online. You know, that comes with its challenges, you know, being very active online and also as a young person as well. What do you feel comfortable in sharing? So I'd like to read, you know, two parts of this essay, actually. Mm. So when you are a public figure, people will write and say false things about you. Mm -hmm. It comes with the territory. 
Many of those things you brush aside, many you ignore. The people close to you advise you that silence is best. And often it is. Sometimes though, silence makes a lie begin to take on the shimmer of the truth. In this age of social media, where story travels the world in minutes, silence sometimes means that other people can hijack your story and soon their false version becomes a deafening story about you. So she actually ended her essay with the point I was making about the young people and this is how it goes. I have spoken to young people who tell me they are terrified to tweet anything that they read and reread their tweets because they fear they will be attacked by their own. The assumption of good fate is dead. What matters is not goodness, but the appearance of goodness. We are no longer human beings. We are now angels jostling to out angel one another. God help us, it is obscene. And I think really she's commenting there on cancel culture as well. You know, if someone says something, you know, obviously if someone says something discriminatory, you know, they should be held accountable to that. But I think in what she was saying, you know, some people did take it as transphobic, what she said, and some people, you know, were unsure. But I think this is all a learning experience for everyone. And we're all learning from each other. So we're all going to make mistakes on that way. And I know for myself, you know, if someone maybe says something that's not quite clear, maybe getting to racism, you know, I will call them out and I will, you know, make sure that they know what's the right term to use and that sort of thing. But if someone means well and is ignorance, then, you know, I think there's room for people, you know, learning and changing as well. So I thought that was a really great essay yeah really resonated with me thank you so much for that sorry Ola I caught I started coughing there and muted myself and then couldn't unmute myself (laughs) (laughs) I I was listening but just if you saw me frantically um I I really think that whole um that whole discourse is so interesting and I feel like a lot of it is to do with the fact that like I think I'm probably one of, I don't know about you, but I remember a time before the internet. Um, and I'm so interested by the way that we have no privacy anymore in the way that we live our lives. And we have to present so much of ourselves. And and yeah, I mean, it's so easy to get it wrong. Um, and I feel like we, we need to learn how to deal with these two selves that we have, this public self and this private self. Um, and I was at a, a, a book festival over the weekend where there was a lot of talk about, you know, how we're even dealing with the situation in Ukraine and the notion of performativity and appearing to be good and kind of going, OK, well, I've turned my changed my profile into the Ukrainian flag. Job done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's really that is a kind of a risk. The notion that this kind of performance of good um, actually absolves us from the need to be active in our real lives and and we forget what actually matters you know which is which is kind of kindness to each other and and discourse and conversation and I often find that when I hear something online I think if I was sitting having a coffee with you and you said that I would kind of go well I'm not really sure I'd agree with that and the conversation would move on but everything gets drawn into battle lines online you know it's so 
Yeah, it's so interesting. And I must, I'd love to read more of that essay because that's something that I'm really interested in myself. Um, because, you know, I think the worst thing would, the worst thing would be that if we were all living in this climate of fear um, and, and we actually didn't use the chance of the, of the internet to kind of connect with each other, because that's the whole point of it, you know? Yeah. Instead, it kind of pushes us further apart. Um, and yeah, even going back to writing, even, you know, writing is meant to be fearless. You know, I felt yeah. like Tim Amanda was so fearless in that essay, you know, regardless of whatever anyone might think of the essay, she just stated it as it is and wanted yeah. to get her out. And, you know, I, I very much take inspiration from that kind of writing myself. And yeah, I suppose, you know, if we were going to a desert island as well, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about social media because probably wouldn't work <laughs> without any I know, internet. I know, so. I'm thinking like if I can if I can go somewhere that will allow me to just read all these books all day, yeah, sign me up to the desert island, I think. <laughs> um I'm gonna go back to a, a little bit about motherhood um and talk about this book, which I absolutely love as well. Because again, I suppose I think. And it's interesting, the theme is coming up again. It's like this notion of um, the notion of performative womanhood, you know, the notion that we kind of feel, OK, you know, feminism ha has happened. We're now in third wave, fourth wave feminism. Uh, we've all been liberated. We all have exactly what we want. And then certain things happen in our lives to, um, I suppose, expose the myth that everything is, is OK um, and that everything is equal. Um, and I really enjoyed this book. It's called Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder. Um, and it's a novel about a woman who, without giving too much away, uh, she has a, a small child and she has given up work to take care of the child and she finds herself slowly turning into a dog. So it's very surreal uh, and it's very, very funny. Um, and I'm just going to read a little extract from a moment whereby the previous night, while her husband, who is well-meaning but slightly ineffectual, it's a very funny novel, uh, he's been away at work and he's come back and she is trying to explain to him that she is turning into a dog and being visited by a pack of dogs who are trying to lure her away to all of these wild adventures and he's not really listening to her. A pack of dogs, her husband said over the phone. It was late Monday night and the boy was in bed and she was scared and crying. I am covered in fur and I have a tail and then these dogs, she said and gasped, I don't even like dogs and now I want one. Honey, he said evenly. She could hear cable news playing in the background. I'm sure this is all just a hormonal imbalance. Have you made an appointment yet with the doctor? No, she said, blowing her nose. She didn't want to go to the doctor, have him tell her that everything was fine, that this was all in her head. Everything wasn't fine. This is what she'd been trying to get across ever since that first night when she had woken angry and stayed angry. Nothing was fine, despite how other people reasoned away her worries and anger, said that this was just how things were, that things would get better, that she really needed to calm down and not be so angry, that she really should be grateful and happy, that happiness was a choice, that she was privileged and bratty and wanted too much all at once. <laughs> Mm. gaslighting that's exactly yeah. what that is yeah yeah, yeah exactly and it's very topical these days as well you know I think a lot I've seen a lot of women talk about that you know in our, their relationship if they get sensed that you know I've seen a lot of like tweets about that recently as well and it's a real thing like I suppose I don't know I suppose women more so feel maybe a bit more comfortable to share these things online now there's less shame about sharing things like that now I think which, which is a good thing for social media side of things actually you know it allows so, people to open up 
Yeah, I I also feel as well like that it's still really difficult. And my next book is all about this. My next book of poems, which shameless self plug is going to be launched um, in Hodges Figures on the 30th of March, if anyone wants to come along. Um, (laughs) But it's all about kind of um, having having children and also about postnatal depression and how difficult that is and difficult to talk about it, because we still kind of live in a culture where I think, you know, you have a baby and, and everyone says you should be so happy, you should be so grateful. And of course you are those things, but there are difficulties that go with it and it can still be really really tricky to talk about those things and also you know this is interesting like a lot of my friends actually from from different African countries have said to me you abandon mothers here you just leave them on their own like whereas you know mm-hmm. in other cultures everybody moves in and helps take care of the baby so the, the mother is not just left alone for six months um, which is what happened to me for two maternity leaves you know not blaming my partner somebody had to like you know make the money and pay the mortgage during that time and maternity leave is a great thing but one of my maternity leaves was during the pandemic and it was such an isolating experience you know you were left on your own with the baby as if that's the correct way for families to operate as if that's the essential way that people survive with their children by just having the mother for six months on their own um, and I mean you know for me I think it would be so uh, liberating if we could allocate different parts of maternity leave to you know to your partner like so I could say to my partner okay well I'll do the first three months and then you do the second three months or or you know just a little bit more flexibility around that or just some recognition that you know it doesn't all have to fall to the mother all the time because while it's lovely to have the option for that the normalization of that kind of creates an atmosphere whereby anything that doesn't fit that is seen as somehow wrong and that's what I kind of love about this book like she's just so funny about the fact that she's angry and so there's no kind of self-pity in it it's just it I mean it gets hysterically funny towards the end and very dark um but uh I just found that quite refreshing the Mm. idea that we can talk about these things and that they are complicated Um, yeah it's really interesting what you were saying there as well about the differences in different cultures as well and I think even if you look at single mothers, for example, like in the Western world, you know, there's even less support with that as well. So it's almost like, and also just the pressure as well, you know, oh, you go on maternity leave and, you know, some people kind of showing off and saying, oh, you know, I just had a baby yesterday. I'm back to work now. You know, that kind of culture as well. You know, it's sickening and it's just putting pressure on women's bodies. You know, people should go at their own pace. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So actually, yeah, I'll maybe share something now. I think I might read some more Irish language writing. That's okay. I'm actually going to read a little bit from my own. That's fine. I actually, it's not my book, but I have one of my pieces in it. This is Mascara on Air with Marcus McConnell. Yes. Yeah. So this was on Radio Nguelta actually a few years ago. So I, I was actually in studio reading this out as well and recording as well as writing it as well. So yeah, I'll just read a little bit. It's actually based off of a thesis I did during my undergraduate about the politics of black women's hair. And this is in Irish now. So this is Grig And I'll just read a little bit out because I know it's quite long. So I'll just go. Tadjutris of winning leg Grignamandov, Sweeneyam Guminic er Kerds Dort and Tudor, Chimamanda Ungosi and Dichi. Madrile Grig van Ir Uchtaran Berka, 
The Marode Gurkha Michelle Obama Agurig Ishlina Dorha, Neil Shansta Live, the Mek Barack Obama, Sachak Bond, Marcella Kudiskamek, Merkogyal, Sasta Vota Kahob, the R, Gwil Bandov, La Afro Ega. So that's really talking about that there's a particular kind of negativity to do with black women's hair. And Chimamanda Ugusi Adichie had actually said that, you know, for example, if Michelle Obama wore her hair in natural black hairstyles, such as Afro braids, that Barack Obama wouldn't guess in. So I always thought that was really interesting. So I'll just go to the ending, actually. So this is about myself. Agazinish carried AM scale lumsa. Hokshi Tamalurm bet Muni Nuk Leshna Stilinet Nador her shot a Kahamanish. Nilsha called Jasper a brand new Difrilo Gahania Ella Neritatu Og of Sonanta, a Giri Vemai Quidden Slua. Akdomorode Gervatin Larit Lumfain, Nervimanis Oger Skull, a Giri brand new Marina Kalani Gala Timplerm. There him is Lord Hugh Martufain, Maris Rod Jasse and Uhulot. And there I'm really saying that, you know, before when I was younger, I wouldn't be as comfortable wearing natural hair, uh, hairstyles. I wouldn't even be comfortable maybe even wearing this now, and my um, own headgear as well. So it's really just about me changing and, you know, finding that uniqueness and being proud of it. and not wanting to look like the girls around me, you know, finding my own voice and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I really enjoyed actually to write that. I think that was one of the, really the first pieces I wrote in Irish. So yeah, I was, I remember being kind of like nervous as well to write it because, you know, when you're writing in Irish, you kind of sometimes get obsessed about the grammar. So I wasn't really sure if I could pull it off, but I'm glad I put something together. Anyway. I think that's one of the lovely things about poetry, isn't it? That it gives you that, I mean, I always feel there's a, there's a little bit more freedom in poetry with those kind of things. Like it's not, you know, I always think like prose is like sitting in a car and you're being driven along. Um, you know, whereas poetry is when you're looking at the window at the mountains, you know, you have that little bit more freedom to imagine and space within the poem. Um, and again, it was just gorgeous to hear it. Um, and I'm so interested in those in those ideas of identity and appearance. And again, kind of brings me back to to this notion of how we present ourselves as women all the time. Um, and I uh, was I had the, the good fortune really to be to present to an Eructus committee recently on um, issues around sexual harassment and dignity in the workplace in the arts. And it was very, very interesting. You know, we, 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 a few of us women went in to present and talk about our experiences, but we were all very careful about how we presented ourselves. You know, was it a case of, should we be emotional and raging and angry, or should we be very reserved and very businesslike and very calm? And that choice took up a huge amount of our preparation time because you really don't know what you're going to face um, and the committee were very very welcoming very supportive but um but I think that's a question that women ask themselves all the time if I present myself this way how will I be perceived is it appropriate is it not appropriate and um, and culturally I think that's fascinating as well and um, because I think it's an area that people really do need to build awareness on and um, I'm going to read yeah, um, just to comment on that as well I think you know that's where feminism comes into play because it should be really about whatever you want to wear whether it's not to to show more flesh or to cover up you know regardless women should have a choice either way so yeah I think sometimes the argument could be more like you know 
leave the flesh out if you want whereas you know there are women that want to cover up so I think we should really be for the two sides and advocating for the two really in absolutely sense. no I totally agree and actually to go back to Amir Srinivasan she writes really interestingly on that in the kind of um in the kind of breaks in feminism between an attitude which is for example around sex work uh, that you know women should not be engaged in sex, sex work there's no way to do it that isn't exploitative and then another theory of thought or a train of thought which says um well if they want to engage in it then they should be allowed to engage in it you know because mm-hmm. they have their own choice and agency so yeah again back to that book would recommend it lots to uh lots of different areas in that which are so interesting um and I want to read a little passage from a book uh, called as You Were by Elaine Feeney, um, who I have to say, full disclosure, is a good friend of mine, but this is a fantastic novel and it's won lots of awards and they're not ones that I made up. They're real big, wonderful international awards. But um, Elaine uh, would have is a poet first and now a novelist and would have come very much from the kind of the, the first spoken word uh, generation of poets in Ireland. So a lot of her work was very, very political, very feminist, still is. Um, but As You Were is a really, really fascinating novel about uh, a property a property developer, a woman property developer called Sinead Hines. Um, and it's silly that I have to say woman property developer, but I think we all have an image in our mind when we hear the word property developer, but she becomes very ill um, and decides to keep that fact from her family and the book uh, is set in a hospital ward and it's a wonderful cast of, of women and some men but it just takes a really interesting skewering look at um at Irish society and again this brings us back to the notion of appearances um so I'm just going to read two little uh paragraphs from the book to give you a kind of a flavor of it my mother told me to have a hot bath or put on a nice hat if I was having a bad day When I'd leave home, she'd stand in the doorway and knead the hollow space between my shoulder blades with her knuckles as I slipped past. She'd dip her index finger into the little hole at the feet of Jesus and flick droplets in my wake. He hung on a loose nail by the door, pasty and lean with bright red drips on his hands and feet, loincloth and blue eyes to die for. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Growing up on the farm, I kept bad news to myself for going public with fortune or misfortune brings drama. I'd hide out underneath my single bed, tucking the eiderdown flaps tight around me. Father'd bellow for things he needed urgently. Hammer, ladder, cup of tea, plasters, jump leads, pair of hands, mother, phone, vet. The phone for the vet was dragged in a rush out from the kitchen and my mother placed the cream receiver into his large hand, dial it for him. He'd have a palm on his forehead. Panic, always panic. So again, I just feel that this is such a really telling depiction of a certain dynamic in in Ireland around Mm. appearances, and women's needs and the needs of men and how you know I just love that image of the mother scuttling into the room with the phone to hand it to him he doesn't even have to dial it himself you know Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like the animal is in trouble so it goes like animal man woman (laughs) in the hierarchy it's very interesting and even it's even topical for now with the war as well in Europe because it's more so like women and children you know I always thought that grouping was interesting you know women and children and I always you wondered about that because are you trying to say they're almost the same so Mm. yeah I always thought that was really quite interesting yeah 
Yeah. And also, are they property? You know, mm. um, I was doing a talk uh, recently um, for Bridget's Day on uh, Women and Ulysses by James Joyce. And I was going back to one of the sections in Ulysses that I really struggled with, um, which is the Oxen of the Sun section. Um, and in it, it tells the story of... Um, of Mina Purefoy, who's this offstage woman, we never see her, but she's in the maternity maternity hospital and she's giving birth for three days. But the point of view of the episode is um, a bunch of the men getting drunk and kind of talking about the, the impending birth. And it's really interesting because again, I had to do, put my little academic hat on and go back to Joyce and go, well, why is this Oxen of the Sun? Like, how does that correspond to the episode in the Odyssey? Um, and the Oxen of the Sun episode in the Odyssey was uh, the gods told Odysseus that he, he ended up on an island. I'm very badly paraphrasing the Odyssey, but he ended up on an island and he was told, you cannot eat these cattle. You can't eat these cows. Mm -hmm. These are the oxen of the sun. They belong to Apollo and you'll be cursed if you eat them. But of course, the sailors went and, and, and killed the cows and ate them. But I was really interested in the notion that the, the kind of comparison drawn between the woman as chattel, as life-giving, um, mm -hmm. kind of offstage giving birth, um, and, you know, this notion of 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 women and livestock and animals is somehow being together mm. as property. And they are properties still in so many places all over the world, you know. And um, so anyway, sorry, that's my little rant about James Joyce over and done with. <laughs> yeah, yeah I remember studying my recommended in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even just about women's sexuality as well in that book, you know, the way people are so like hush hush about the part with Molly, you know, I think is always quite funny as well. You know, it's just that whole idea of sexuality in Ireland is still kind of swept under the carpet a bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Sexuality, yeah. yeah. So maybe we could do some Q&A now, maybe. I think it's been 40 minutes. Yeah, great stuff. We're very happy to take any questions. Um, and it is interesting, just while we're while we're waiting for any to come in, um, I always think like I, I I loved Ulysses, like I struggled with it like everyone, but I did I did kind of go back to it after college and read the bits I didn't have to read for my college course. Um, and sometimes you look at it and you think, you know, it's a, it's a very problematic Dublin. But the Dublin you see there feels somehow more modern than a lot of went before. And I think it is because of things like Molly and her kind of overt and comfortable sexuality. Um, mm. And I think, you know, you still get academics arguing over whether or not uh, that scene at the end is like a masturbation scene or whether it's not. And they will get really het up about it. I've heard some stories about big rows and people being really weird about it. Um, but I do think it's great that Joyce wrote the way he did about women and um, even if there's stuff in it which you're kind of going well yeah this is the turn of the 20th century and we wouldn't feel this way now and um, it still felt I think like a slightly more modern version of Ireland than mm. than De Valera's Dancing at the Crossroads. Yeah I wasn't so sure about it in terms of progressiveness to be honest I wasn't so sure but definitely the final bit is you know questions all of that yeah. Yeah yeah definitely definitely. So guys, any questions for us? We would love to answer them. Um, just while we're waiting for people to maybe put some questions into the chat, um, just wondering if, if both of you would have a, a poem, a poem in particular that you return to again 
and again, I'm sure there are many, but are there, is there a particular poem that jumps out at you that, that you, that you return to for solace or comfort? I have one, but do you want yeah. to go first, Stella? To be honest, I don't have a particular poem. I suppose some of those that I read out today, but I also really like Rupi Carr as a poet as well. You know, and some of that was actually in Beyonce's Lemonade album as well. So a lot of that really, I really enjoyed that. And about, you know, womanhood and sisterhood in particular. Yeah, I really enjoyed that kind of stuff. Yeah, I should I should definitely have one by a woman that I that comes to the top of my head and I've I've loads, but I, there's a there's a poem that I really love uh, by Derek Mahan called The Snow Party, which I might read out, actually. Um, I've just pulled it up here on my phone. Um, and it's a very, very simple, economical, stark poem. But I think it actually has real resonance for today. So I'll, I'll read it out anyway. Basho coming to the city of Nagoya is asked to a snow party. There is a tinkling of China and tea into China there are introductions. Then everyone crowds to the window to watch the falling snow. Snow is falling on Nagoya and farther south on the tiles of Kyoto. Eastwards, beyond Irago, it is falling like leaves on the cold sea. Elsewhere, they are burning witches and heretics in the boiling squares. Thousands have died since dawn in the service of barbarous kings but there is silence in the houses of Nagoya and the hills of Issei. Um, and I really feel that this poem, which is simple in its some ways and kind of creates this beautiful uh, winter picture of a kind of a Japanese scene, mm. and then brings us, gives us this glimpse of violence in the distance. Um, and it's a poem that I often come back to, but I think it feels very, relevant today, much like I think lots of us have seen Ilya Kaminsky, uh, the wonderful Ukrainian poet, um, his, well, Ukrainian-American poet, I should say, but he has a poem called We Lived Happily During the War. And I think these mm. two poems are about the way that we can live in a place which is seen as civilized and contained and safe, but elsewhere in the world, there will always be suffering and mm. how alive and aware are we able to be of that fact and, and what can we do about it? Um, yeah, that's definitely the kind of text that I like again, you know, socially conscious, you know, gets you thinking. That's really up my street, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. Well, look, could we just get the name of the poet you mentioned? Um, yeah. Or is there a particular poem that of theirs that you that you like? Um, yeah, so it's... Ijoma Umbuenio, and it was the first poem I actually read out about, you know, too foreign for here, too foreign for home, never enough for both. Mm, that's gorgeous. Okay. That's really lovely. Um, I was uh, I went to see Denise Chyla last last weekend or the weekend before. Um, and she, I didn't know she comes from a spoken word background too, but she had a poem that very much deals with that sense of of how, you know, in a identity-wise you can feel pulled in different directions um, mm -hmm. when actually you know there are so many benefits to be had from those cultural yeah. exchanges and different cultural echoes that happen um, 
yeah. yeah, her song Dual Citizenship kind of touches on that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way she spells dual as well, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah she's fantastic. Battle, yeah. So she's our desert, desert island music choice then. Yeah, <laughs> Great. I'll just throw it out to the attendees tonight. Um, I think Justina has her hand up. So, oh, thank you for unmuting. Uh, hi, and it's lovely to see you both. Um, I just wanted to ask if you have uh, read, uh, like for me, we, we spoke a lot about femininity and uh, and um, poetry. And for me, the, the best Irish person who did that, I think she was the first to do it, was Yvonne Boland. Have you come across her? And yeah, all, the, all the poems about night breastfeedings. And, and uh, I, I really felt the collection, connection with her when I was reading her. And uh, uh, I had the ambition of doing the same in Polish years ago <laughs> um, and uh, uh, so I just wanted to um, ask uh, Jessica like you're the poet in residence now are you mm. so uh, how do you feel about it are there any uh, there used to be like um, consultancy sessions or something like that are there any any um, I don't know, is there any chance to, to, to meet you in person and just uh, have a chat about poetry and stuff? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the initiatives that I've been running, it got a little bit scuppered over Christmas because of uh, all the COVID, but um, I've been running an office hours um, uh, session whereby people, if they want to kind of get some feedback on poems or um, if they want to... Uh, just chat about poetry or find out a little bit more about how to get into poetry uh, they can send me an expression of, of interest and I try and schedule them in for like Thursday lunch times usually either in person at the lexicon or via zoom depending on what suits people and um, so I might ask the guys to pop my email address into the um, my deal or email address into the chat there and if anybody is interested uh, you can send me an expression of interest and um, I'm also hopefully going to be doing a, a reading with Rosamond Taylor who Who's another wonderful poet um, on the 2nd of June at the Lexicon, but I think the uh, publicity for that hasn't, hasn't gone up yet, but watch this space. Um, so I'll be reading some poems then. Lovely, thank you. And uh, Ola, how, have, how did you come to know Irish so well? And you obviously write in Irish, so where, where has it come from? Yeah, so that would have come from school. Uh, so I went to all Irish schools throughout. So that's how I got fluent. And yeah, I just, I suppose I kept going. So I worked, I knew I wanted to work in media. So I joined Radio and Lifa and that kind of opened me up to like the bigger Irish speaking world in terms of, you know, the communities, the work and the media and everything. So that's how it happened. Yeah. And yeah, like to be honest, I didn't really have much confidence writing in Irish at first, because as I said, you know, I kind of get obsessed about the grammar and that kind of stuff. And I think for a lot of people, maybe in school, that's kind of what they were thinking about when they were learning Irish. So, you know, that kind of disturbed the whole process. But I think to be honest, for me, just even writing in English or whatever, I just put it out there on the page and then I'll, you know, make edits as I go. But I, I, that's what works for me anyway. 
to be honest yeah and I just wanted to mention as well that uh, I have an event I'll be a part of a part of a course festival in Galway so it's going to be in Antark that's um, theatre in Galway and basically it's to it's part of the launch for this book by Professor Brino Crohoy so he's an American uh, American Irish professor but living in America in New York and he has a new book out Canavag Smear so about bone and marrow that's the English on it so I'm going to be part of that with two amazing Irish language writers Alan Titley and Newland Gonal. so I'm really looking forward to that we're going to be discussing Irish language poetry and writing. That sounds fantastic Ola oh I'd love to be there what what date is that during court? So that's the 10th of April Sunday. Gorgeous yeah see if I I'll see if I can steal the car and get away from the weekend (laughs) don't know if I'll be allowed but it sounds wonderful any other questions there from the group if you just want to wave your hand And Ola, I think um, if people want to hear more from you, you have a radio programme. Is it RTE2? Uh, so it's Afro Era on Radio Nalifa every Saturday or every second Saturday from four to five. And then I have a new show unheard on RTE2XM as well every Wednesday from seven o'clock. And that's bilingual, actually. Do you get to use Irish in your daily life? I mean, would your family also speak Irish or do you get to use it, I suppose, day to day? Uh, So no, my family do not speak Irish, but um, no, I wouldn't say I use it daily, like maybe a little bit here and there in an email or something. But I would say like definitely every week I would use it probably. Yeah. Yeah. And any tips for people to to. I suppose, keep their Irish that they have from school. Any suggestions yeah. for people to, to use it and to practice it? Yeah, I would say, yeah, for Stockton Leguelga, especially, you know, use your cupola fuckle, you know, even in the email, you know, sign off. You could say le jagui, le mas, germagut, things like that. And yeah, just really, I suppose, have confidence that you can get there if you want to be fluent or intermediate. And yeah, just listening to like Irish language radio, like Rajin Liffa, Rajin Agueltata, watching TG Cahir and that sort of thing as well. And I, I think for me, what helps me keep my Irish up as well is just speaking with other people. Like I've learned a lot more even from school from just speaking to people as well. So that's another thing. And Duolingo has also helped a lot of people too, I've heard. So yeah. That's great. Thanks for all those tips. Seeing as, as you mentioned, it is also Shakhtan Nagelga. So um, it's lovely to have um, to have you as a Gaelgor here as part of International Women's Day as well. So I don't think there's any more questions. Um, so just like to say thank you very much to you both for joining us. Um, I, we've caught some of the titles there in the chat. Um, we'll make the video recording available on DLR YouTube. And when we do that, we'll capture any of the titles we missed and we'll include them all um, in the comments below the YouTube video. So you can find that if you want to re-listen 
on DLR YouTube and we'll also have it on our podcast as well, our DLR Libraries podcasts as well. So thanks again to everyone for joining us and um, happy International Women's Day to you all. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye.